You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Well, before we uh, get into what I want us to get into tonight, I just kind of, as a side note, want to just, I want to say the gospel has the ability to, uh, to, to reconcile and, and bring people together from all sorts of backgrounds. I'll say that again. The gospel has the ability to truly reconcile and bring people together from all sorts of backgrounds, no matter what walls or barriers stand between you and that person. I say that because of this, um, two of my uh, former students from uh, Texas Tech University are here tonight, and um, uh, one of them in particular, his name's Coleman Maxwell, he's standing down here, or sitting down here in the front, he, uh, he uh, has really turned his back on his relationship with me. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a big Texas Tech fan, and he is now one of the chaplains for the TCU football program, and uh, so I, I saw him this weekend, on, I, I, went to, I was in Lubbock, I went to the game, saw him this weekend on the sideline, acting a fool over there, uh, excited, TCU was beating Texas Tech. And, uh, of course, he comes tonight, and I think really the only reason he came tonight was so he could wear his big old Texas or TCU shirt and rub it in my face that uh, Texas Tech uh, lost. But um, anyways, uh, still was able to give him the right hand of fellowship tonight. So um, gospel allows us to jump over those barriers. And, and I just, I, I kind of say that jokingly, but seriously, at the same time, the gospel really does have that ability, and I'm glad these guys are here. Um, God's doing some cool things in and through their lives. Um, I don't know how y'all are feeling at this point in the semester. Do y'all realize we're almost halfway through the semester? This is week six. That kind of makes me want to throw up. I don't know where you're at. Honestly, I'm coming in here tired. Anybody else in here tired? Uh, it has been, uh, you know, one of those weeks, one of those, I don't know, seasons of 7, 10, 15 days. And uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm tired uh, coming into this tonight. I'm, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm, I'm always excited about overflow, but sometimes... Uh, I, I, I've come in here just um, exhausted, and you know tonight um, I'm just going to be real with you. Uh, been been working on tonight for a, a while, and you know usually I come into this this evening having finished really writing everything, and, and really having had a lot of time to spend with you know what I feel like the Lord has put on my heart that that ends up on this paper, um, and uh, that usually ends up finishing out the night before tonight. Um, but I, I finished really typing this up around six o'clock today. And, um, you know, I say that to say two things. One, I, I really believe that the Lord has something to say to you and me tonight through this. Um, uh, and, and I say it that way because I'm not even completely sure what all's on this paper. So, uh, but uh, I, I really believe that, um, that he's going to convict us tonight. And um, so before, I know we just prayed, I know we just, we prayed a couple times tonight. I, I, I want to just stop and ask the Lord again to um, to really speak into our hearts and speak through this, and um, and use just my my weakness tonight um, to show His strength and power and ability to use an idiot to communicate His word. So um, let me pray for us, Lord. Again, we just come to you and and really do believe that um, through Your Word tonight, You have some some important things to say to us, and uh, and I pray that those important things are communicated clearly. Lord, don't let me get in the way of that. Um, uh, Lord, I want to just ask that you would speak into my heart through this, uh, speak into these students' hearts, and um, I pray that the re- result would be a true conviction that leads to, uh, to response. Um, because as we're going to see tonight, 
correct doctrine does not equal faith, um, but correct response to correct doctrine equals faith. And I pray that that's the result of this evening. Uh, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, like we were planning to be last week. Um, but I want to I start with James chapter 1. Uh, if, if you were to look, and I'm not going to read it, I'm just going to point you to it. James chapter 1, uh, verses 20, uh, 23 to 25, I think is where James actually, he's talking about Scripture. And he says a few things about it, but, but the, the thing that I like what he says here is he compares Scripture to a mirror. He compares God's word to a mirror. And, and essentially what he's communicating is this. You, you can't really know who you are apart from God's word. I mean, just think of it like a mirror. Well, this is one of my favorite things about James. He always uses pictures when he writes. All throughout his letter, uh, he's just constantly giving us these illustrations, these different, these different pictures that really bring to light tangibly what he's meaning through his word. And this is one of those pictures. He says God's word is like a mirror. Now think about a mirror. Um, I, I would guess that... Everybody in this room today has looked at a mirror at some point. Um, has anybody in here today not looked at a mirror at all? Uh, you probably either don't want to raise your hand because it's obvious, or we don't need you to raise your hand because we could tell if you hadn't looked in a mirror. Um, it's dark. I can't see you. I'm just, I'm sorry. That might have been mean. Um, but everybody's looked in a mirror. I, every, we all value mirrors because uh, we, we just do. Like, girls, you value mirrors. Uh, before you go to class, I, I promise you, I would be shocked if not like every single one of you girls looked in a mirror before you went to class. What do you do when you get in front of the mirror? What do you do? You fix your hair. <laughs> fix your makeup. Hopefully brush your teeth. You don't need a mirror to do that, but hopefully you did that. Uh, yeah, you look in the mirror. You fix your hair. You fix your makeup. You know, if it's one of those days where you don't want to fix your hair, you just throw a baseball cap on and kind of cover it up. I'm sorry if you're wearing a baseball cap tonight and just ratted you out. Um, but, you, you know, you, 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 you fix your hair. You fix your makeup. And, and you value mirrors, so that's why you don't just have one mirror. Uh, you've got the big mirror in your bathroom, but you also probably have one of those small mirrors that like magnifies everything really big. My mom has one of those small mirrors where you can like look up close, and I think she uses it to pluck her eyebrows or something because you can like see all the pores and stuff when you get up close to it. Uh, if you back up too far away, it flips everything upside down. You know what I'm talking about. Um, but then you don't just have those two mirrors in your room. You've, you've got uh, one of those tall, skinny stand-up mirrors that um, I know like a lot of you have these because all, you're always posting online these outfit of the day pictures of, you know, standing in front of the mirror. Um, so you have those mirrors and then also like you get in your car and you have mirrors in your car. I'm convinced the only reason that they have mirrors and the little thing that flips down from, you know, above that's supposed to shade you from the sun. They got mirrors in the back of those uh, because of girls. I think a girl invented that so that uh, you can put makeup on while you're driving your car. I mean, I, when I see a car swerving on the road, I, I assume one of two things. Either they're drunk or it's a girl and they're putting on their makeup on the way to somewhere where they're going. Because you're driving with your knees, you're trying to put your mascara on and um, not paying attention to where you're going. Um, you value mirrors. Uh, you used to, it used to be you would carry around these little tiny flip-out mirrors for, uh, you know, your purse or whatever. You don't need that anymore because you got your iPhone, so you sit there and use your camera as a mirror instead. But we, we value mirrors. Guys value mirrors as well, but for different reasons. Uh, guys don't put on makeup or anything like that. We don't really use mirrors for, uh, uh, for our hair. Maybe some do a little bit, but not much. I just kind of do this. Um, and uh, this guy in the middle, he's, he knows what I'm about to say. We, we, why do we use mirrors? You just did it. I'm putting you on the spot. Blue shirt. Yeah, you. What'd you do? Yeah. I'm sorry, man. I don't know you. I hope I didn't just embarrass you. Yeah. Hey, but it's true. Look, from the time we're in elementary school to I don't know when this ends, because I'll just be honest, we, I still do it. Uh, 
we get in front of the mirror and we flex. Uh, we love mirrors because it's a, it's a place for us to observe, you know, our masculinity or lack of, you know, masculinity or whatever, lack of muscles. Um, and, you know, this is the whole reason I think in, in gyms they started putting mirrors in gyms. You know, they put mirrors in cars for you girls. They put mirrors in gyms for us guys because when we're working out, we want to watch ourselves work out and uh, either see what we don't have or, or admire what we do have or we admire what other guys are admiring in the mirror. Um, it's so weird to me, like, you... Uh, you uh, go to like LA Fitness or some, something like that. Just go to the rec center. I mean, UNT, UT Dub rec center, and you see guys in there. It's like, they, it's weird to me. Like, they act like there's no other human beings around, and they're like lifting up their shirt and kind of flexing <laughs> their abs. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyways, uh, or, they're, or they're like, you know, flexing their arms or something like that. Um, yeah, they're always like flexing like nobody's around. It's really weird. Um, anyways, yeah, we, lo- we, we, we all like mirrors. In fact, uh, my, uh, my sophomore year in college, I lived with. Um, uh, three dudes, uh, we had like this suite, you know, two dorms, a bathroom in the middle, and uh, one of the guys that lived in the suite next to us was a guy named Caleb Gunnels, um, and uh, he was, we were about to go play an intramural football game, and so we were putting on our cleats and everything, the four of us were all on the same team, and uh, three of us walked out the door to leave from, from my room, um, but Caleb wasn't with us, he was still in the other room, and, and so they're like, hey, go, go grab Caleb, he was our quarterback. And uh, so I, I go through the bathroom, and, you know, there's two doors. I go through one door, now I'm in the bathroom. Then I start to open the door to their room, and uh, I hear really loud. Um, he loved Justin Timberlake, so he had uh, Bringing Sexy Back on really loud. Um, I think that's the song. This was 2004. I don't know if that was out that early. I, I think it was. I think that's the song that was playing. Anyways, uh, I, I, it was really loud, so he didn't hear me come in, which was great because he was in there in front of the mirror. And, you know, he's one of those, you know those guys that play in the murals and uh, they dress way more than they actually have skill? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like they got like the sleeve and they got the really expensive gloves and the really nice pleats and the headband and all this stuff. That was the guy. Uh, that was Caleb. So he's all dressed up and everything and he's got this football in his hands and he's, he's got bringing sexy back, playing on the music. And, uh, and he's in front of the mirror acting like he's quarterback, doing all these moves and stuff, watching himself in the mirror. And uh, so I'm just standing there for like, seriously, probably 30 seconds to a minute just watching. And, uh, and he does this little move where he turns around to do this fake handoff and he sees me standing there uh, <laughs> by the door. And I was like, hey, man, you going to come? Uh, we, we're, the game's about to start. So, um, but, but mirrors... Mirrors reveal our physical features, and some of you really like to look in the mirror because, I mean, honestly, you, uh, you like what you see. You, you feel good about yourself when you walk away. Others of you, when you look in the mirror, uh, you don't like to look in the mirror. You, you, you walk away feeling disgusted in who you are or not liking what you see or less confident than you were before you looked in the mirror. In James chapter 1, verse 23 to 25, uh, he compares Scripture, compares the Bible, that book that many of you are holding in your hands, to a mirror. And the reason he does this is because God's word reveals to you who you really are. Until you look into God's word, you can't really know who you are. Until a human being looks into scripture, listens and observes what scripture says, you can't, that person cannot know who they are, why they exist, where they stand in relation to God. And when we drift away from truly reading God's word, we begin to lose sight of who we really are. And then we begin to measure ourselves by standards so far from how God actually looks at us. And, and when we do this, uh, our tendency is to always drift towards uh, the superficial. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. 
Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So let me give you a couple examples. When it comes to ministries, and we look at ministries, we observe ministries as a whole, we begin to, when we drift away from God's word, we begin to measure them by, uh, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, numbers and, and attendance, superficial things. Uh, but when it comes to our personal lives, as we drift away from God's word, we begin to measure ourselves um, on these superficial things. We begin to measure ourselves by how much we attend you know, church or overflow or our communities or how much we're reading the Bible, how often we're reading the Bible. All these other superficial things that never get below the surface into what really matters. We can't truly know where we stand in relation to God apart from God's word, which brings me to, I feel like, an interesting observation. I think many of you right now, you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm reading God's word a lot. Like, many of you, I think, are, are, are working towards being consistent at reading scripture on a daily basis, whether that's in the morning or sometime during the day or at night. You know, many of you, you're coming to overflow regularly, you're coming to church regularly, and so you're getting uh, time in God's word in those settings. You're, you're in a community or you're going to equip on Sunday mornings. And so many of you right now, you're thinking, I'm reading the Bible all the time. But, but let me tell you, here's, here's my observation. I think we've mastered the art of learning how to get close enough to God's word so that we feel good about ourselves while still keeping enough distance between us and God's, and God's word so that we avoid conviction. Let me say that again. I think we've mastered the art of getting close enough to God's word so as to feel good about ourselves, but, but still keeping enough distance between us and God's word so that we uh, avoid conviction. It goes back to what I said a couple weeks ago when I was kind of sharing a little bit of my story and, and how it wasn't until college, and I'll just be honest with you, I still go through seasons like this now, but it wasn't until college that, um, or really before college, I, I was reading God's word, but I wasn't letting God's word read me. You remember when I said that? Like I was reading God's word, and again, I go through seasons like this now, where I read God's word, but I don't let God's word read me. Um, so let's see, two weeks ago or a couple weeks ago, my home group, um, it's, it's a group that comes out of this church. We, we meet every Thursday night. Um, we, uh, one Friday, went down to Fort Worth to, to hang out, which is just a side note, um, and, and very serious side note. I know many of you have gotten involved in communities recently. I would just want to challenge you to, uh, to spend time with the people in your community outside of your specified meeting time during the week. It's so good for the soul. And, and that's really when uh, those relationships form. And, and I think those are the special moments when God really begins to work through that community. My home group is, is, is great about that. Um, but my home group, we were hanging out in Fort Worth um, uh, one Friday night a couple weeks ago. We went down there and hung out, did a couple things. But we ended up eating at Joe T. Garcia's. Anybody ever been to Joe T's? Joe T's is the place. If you haven't been there, you need to go there. It's good stuff. You'll stuff your face. Feel terrible afterwards and sick. And, uh, but it's, it's worth it. Um, so we're eating, we're eating at Joe T. Garcia's. And at one point, I honestly don't remember when this happened. Uh, but one of, the, one of the waiters or waitresses came over, and I don't remember why they said this, but they made the comment to us that, that Luke and Owen Wilson were eating at Joe T's that night. I don't know if you know who Luke and Owen Wilson are. Zoolander, uh, Wedding Crashers, which you shouldn't watch that movie. Uh, <laughs> Legally Blonde, Luke, Luke Wilson, I think, is in that one. Um, and I haven't watched that movie. Uh, but Luke and Owen Wilson were, were eating there that night. And so, you know, naturally, we're like, well, where are they eating? We want to go, you know, we want to go see and uh, be like everybody else who was being totally rude and gawking at them. Um, but we, we kind of casually walked by. And, of course, there's a crowd of people that has, quote, unquote, casually, you know, gathered around their tables and are having these casual conversations that just casually happen to be next to their tables so that they can really not have these conversations but be staring at Luke and Owen Wilson, uh, who, who were there. And, uh, and it was really funny to watch because 
uh, the, these people, most of it, honestly, was girls. They were, uh, they were standing there kind of uh, talking, but then every once in a while, one of them would take their phone and, and do this and kind of first, first, they would fix their hair, you know, because they're looking in the, you know, they're looking in the mirror, uh, fix their hair. And then they would, they would uh, position it in such a way that, you know, Luke or Owen was in the background and they'd take a selfie with Luke or Owen Wilson. And you just know that they're posting that online saying something to the effect of, uh, I just had dinner with Luke and Owen Wilson, which is <laughs> completely not true. But I share that with you because I think this is such a perfect picture of our relationship with God in regard to uh, his word. We get close enough to take pictures and convince ourselves that we've been with him. But the reality is, we never sat down at the table. We never asked him questions. We never engaged in conversation with him. We never let him ask us questions. We're reading the Bible, but we're not letting the Bible read us. And again, we can't truly know where we stand in relation to God apart from God's word. And so really that's the question that I want to throw out tonight based on what we're about to see in Luke chapter 6. What about you? Where are you in your relationship with God? Where do you really stand in relationship to him? And and tonight those questions are going to be answered so quickly uh, through one very simple, blatant, straightforward, yet very profound question that Jesus wants to ask you. And it comes from Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Listen to this. It's very, it's very simple. In fact, by the end of the night, we're going to say this verse so much, you should have it memorized. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? I want you to hear that again. Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Bottom line is, like, this, this, I really don't think this verse needs a whole lot of explanation. It's a sermon in and of itself. I mean, we, I really think that we could just stop here, go into a time of prayer, response, repentance. I want to explain it out a little bit further. I want you to think about this. So Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Consider the context in which this comes. So if you look at Luke 6, you see that this is Luke's record of the famous Sermon on the Mount. Um, If you were to go to Matthew chapter uh, 5 through 7, you'll you'll see a much more in-depth account of the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is, in in both instances, because you see, in fact, we'll look at the Matthew version of this here in a minute. This comes, this statement, why do you call me Lord, Lord, not do what I tell you, comes at the end or towards the end of of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so picture this, like he's, he's been preaching for however long, and honestly, I think this is just a summary in Luke 6 and, and also a summary in Matthew 5 through 7. It's just a summary. He said more than this, but he's been preaching for however long he's been preaching. And he's saying all this stuff, and I don't know how familiar you are with the Sermon on the Mount, but he's, he, you know, he gives the Beatitudes, which I hate the name Beatitudes. It, it's kind of this, this pretty poetic way of describing what we see there, and it's really not the Beatitudes. It's really more so the, hey, this is, uh, this is the radically different life that Jesus has called you to attitudes. It's not this pretty little sounding stuff that rolls off your tongue. This is stuff that if you actually listen to it and live it out, you will be living radically different than the rest of the world around you, Tudes. That's what, that's what the Beatitudes are. But he goes on after that, and he, he says some other stuff. He, t- he talks about anger. He talks about, and, and, and in talking about anger, he compares it to murder. He talks about 
lust. And in talking about lust, he says essentially that's adultery. He talks about, um, he talks about judgment. He, he talks about loving your enemies. He talks about all this stuff. He talks about prayer, fasting, all these things. And I just picture that as he's preaching this stuff to these people, that they're standing there and shouting back, responding back with things like, Amen! Preach! Give him the stink face. Excited about what he's saying. And he gets to the end of the message and and he drops this line on them. And, And he's been listening to the response to everything that he's saying, which, goodness, when you look at what he's saying, he's saying, some stuff that's pretty crazy, pretty, uh, pretty cutthroat, pretty powerful. And he's watching the response saying, preach, 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 yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. We agree with you is essentially, I think, what these people were saying as he's preaching. And then he stops them right dead in their tracks and he says, okay, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why are you standing there saying, amen, amen, preach, 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 and you don't do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Now, I, I, I want to deal with that question, but before dealing with the actual question, I, I want to first look at the type of people Jesus was talking to, which I've kind of already described them to you. They were responding to what he was saying. They were agreeing with what he's saying. But he, he says these were people who were calling him Lord, Lord, which from that statement alone, we can gather two things, maybe more, but definitely two things. The first thing we know about these people that he's talking to, the type of people that he's talking to is, is one, uh, they had correct doctrine. Their doctrine, their belief was correct. They verbally professed Jesus as Lord. They acknowledged Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, he said this. He's, he's referring, Jesus is referring to people who are right in their doctrine concerning his nature and about his person. To people who have recognized him and, and who come to him and say, Lord, Lord. They say the right things to him. They believe the right things about him. Our Lord is not criticizing them for that. So basically, they say the right stuff and they sing the right stuff. That's the type of people he's talking to. Correct doctrine. The second thing we can tell by the fact that these people were saying to Jesus, Lord, Lord, is not only do they have correct doctrine, but they're zealous about that doctrine. They have zeal about that, about that doctrine. They didn't just say, Lord. They were saying, Lord, Lord. They're putting emphasis Zeal, passion behind that. Uh, they were zealous in, in being at things. Like, like many of you in here are. You're zealous at leading a community, you leaders, or you're, you're zealous in being at your community, or being in overflow, being at church. They were zealous at being at things and doing things. They weren't just intellectual believers. There was feeling and emotion behind the things that they were saying. So they not only said and sang the right things, but they did so passionately. That's the type of people that Jesus was talking to. So he's talking to those type of people, understanding that. Now listen to what he says. He says, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So now we got to ask the question, why? Like, why would somebody call Jesus Lord, Lord, but not do what he's telling them to do? Maybe a good question to ask here would be this. Do you really know what the word Lord means? I, I know this was true of me, like for the longest time. I just, because I grew up around the church and, and you know, you hear Jesus, Jesus Christ. You hear uh, Son of God. You hear Lord. I mean, just it's kind of all coupled in there. And I just heard Lord as that's the name of Jesus. But that's not the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is Jesus. Lord is a title given to Jesus. And if you think about it, titles carry meaning. Like if somebody goes to school for nine years, ten years, now I'm 
on like my ninth year of my master's. This is not true of me. But like for normal people, if they go to school for like nine years, ten years, they're going to end up with a Ph.D. And somebody with a Ph.D., what do you call them? Doctor. You're not going to call somebody doctor unless they have their Ph.D. or some other form of doctorate. There, there's meaning behind that title, doctor. Um, if somebody gets ordained in the ministry, then they now take on the title of reverend. Which, by the way, I'm an ordained minister. Why don't y'all call me reverend? I'm just kidding. Don't ever call me that. That's a dumb name. Um, but yeah, when somebody gets ordained in the ministry, you call them reverend. Seriously, don't ever call me that. You wouldn't call your sister Lord. You wouldn't call your brother or sister Lord, would you? Are y'all confused about that? Would you call your brother or sister Lord? No. Absolutely not. Why? Because titles mean something. Because titles mean something. So in calling Jesus Lord, that means something. Now the Greek word for Lord that's used here is the word kurios. 716 times it's used in the New Testament. 642 of those times it's translated as Lord. The word essentially means owner. So if titles mean something and you're calling Jesus Lord, you're saying he's your owner. Now think about that. Think about what owners do. Owners make executive decisions. They, they call the shots. They oversee all decisions. They oversee all money spent. They over, oversee all time used. If they say buy, you buy. If they say sell, you sell. If they say stay, you stay. If they say go, you go. So in Luke 6, 46, Jesus poses a really good thought-provoking question by saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me owner, owner, and not do what I tell you? Why tell people I'm your owner if I don't really hold that position in your life? I hope you hear what I'm saying. I hope you're feeling this come at you with grace, but with a lot of truth. Because I think every single one of us in this room, as I am now, but have had to in wrestling with this text for a while now, we've got to answer this question tonight. Why do you call Jesus Lord, Lord, and not do what he tells you to do? And please understand that having correct doctrine and having zeal or that, that doctrine being fueled with passion and emotion does not exempt you from this activity of answering the question, why do you call him Lord, Lord, but not do what he tells you to do? So why do you call Jesus Lord, Lord, and not do what he tells you to do? I don't, I don't know if you've sensed this, especially if you were last week, maybe you've sensed this, but I, I've, I've, I'm not really satisfied with the way that we've fallen into uh, some meaningless and honestly, I think, non-biblical patterns for doing church or gatherings like this. So um, do you know what I mean when I say that? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm really wrestling with that. I'll just be honest with you. I'm really wrestling with, why, you know, why are we doing things the way that we do things? You know, I look at all the gatherings that we have. I look at all the tours that are coming through of, you know, worship bands and all that stuff. And I look at that, and I'm not, I'm not saying that it's bad, but I, I do look at it in question. Why, why do we do things the way we do it? Are we really doing it the right way? Even this gathering here, like, why are, we, why are we in the pattern of, you know, song, music, 
songs, you know, why are we in that power? Why do we do that? Is that really what, if, I mean, if we had a, I think back to Acts chapter 2, you know, Jesus basically sets the disciples free, and they don't have a, they don't have a, uh, basically says, hey, plant churches, spread the gospel all over the nations. He sends them the Holy Spirit. All they have is the Holy Spirit and Jesus' teachings. They don't have a previous church or church model to look at. So they had a blank slate. And, and you look at Acts, you see what they came up with off of a blank slate. And I think for us now, it, we've been caught in years and years and years, which this isn't all bad, but years and years and years of looking back at what the churches around us have done and things that we've liked and then we've kind of created our own thing versus like, okay, if we had a blank slate and we were, I mean, all we had to go off, is, was, go off of was Jesus' teachings and the Holy Spirit leading us, like what would we actually come up with? I'm wrestling with this a lot. I don't know if any of that just made sense. Um, but, but all that being said, like, you know, this gathering now, why do we do it the way we're doing it? I, why is it that I just get up here and teach? Um, I don't know that that's the right way to, 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 to do this. So tonight we're going to do a, something else different, kind of like we did last week. Um, the question on the table is, why do you call Jesus Lord, Lord, and not do what he tells you? Um, I, I, we're about to turn this into the biggest discussion group ever. Um, so, so here's what I want to do. Um, and, and listen, I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. Same, same thing as last week. I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. Honestly, I thought this place was going to be empty after last week. I'm glad that people came back. Maybe a few more came back this week. Um, but I want to split y'all into groups of three or four, like we did last week. And, uh, and then we're going to discuss this question. I'll, I'll rephrase it for you to make it less painful to talk about. Um, but let's start with getting into groups of three or four. You don't move a whole lot, but um, just people around you. If you would just kind of figure out a group of three or four. Um, I, I know some people are kind of spread out, so do me a favor. Would you look around you? If you have your group of three or four, look around you and make sure nobody gets left out. Okay, like point to them, pull them into your group. Go grab them, pull them into your group. Go ahead. If you need to move, move. Groups of three or four. We're going to do this. We're only going to give about five minutes to this. It's not going to take a whole lot of time. Okay, now that you've got your group, can you do me a favor? Everybody listen for a second. Do me a favor. Um, uh, look around you. Make sure nobody's without a group. And if they are, pull them into your group. Make it a group of four or five or six, whatever. And then uh, make sure you know everybody in your group. So ready to go. You can do that. Okay, so I need your attention again. I'm only going to spend a couple minutes doing this. To make it so that nobody feels uncomfortable. Seriously, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable in this discussion. To make it so that nobody feels uncomfortable, let's, let's pose the question hypothetically. Okay? So why would someone, hypothetically speaking, because I know that this isn't true of anybody in this room, why would someone, hypothetically speaking, call Jesus Lord, Lord, but not do what he tells them to do? In your small group, just take a couple minutes. Hypothetically speaking, because I know this is not true of anybody in this room, why would somebody call Jesus Lord, Lord, but not do what he tells them to do? Ready to go. you got a couple minutes.
All right, let me have you back for a second. I'm sorry to cut, cut you off. Um, anybody courageously want to share what, what, what y'all came up with right here in the front? Okay, so I don't know if y'all were able to hear that, but um, I assume the laughing means no. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> That's cool. Um, yeah, she said tem- temptation of, you know, there, there's things that you know. Okay, so he's telling you not to do certain things, and so there's the temptation of, am I reading you right? The temptation of, the, you know, that lures you in or pulls you into doing that when you know it's not right, but the temptation is just so strong, and it, and it keeps you from doing what God told you to do. Anybody else want to share over there? So say that one more time. Why do you call your mom mom and not do what she says? Cool. <laughs> no, that's a good analogy, for real. Did you want to explain that any further, or are you good? That's, no, that's great. That's great. Uh, right here? Scared of change. Yeah. We got any, we got, we've had like three, four girls. Any, any fellas? All right, in the back. He's speaking for all the guys in the room right now. I'm serious. We do not like the idea of being owned by anybody. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, right, right there. Fall into a pattern. Yeah, you just kind of get caught in this pattern, um, just a mind, maybe just a mindless pattern of, you know, whatever. And it's not, you're not even thinking about, like, what is. And I think that's a, I think that's a big thing. Like, just speak to that for a second. Uh, we, are, we are just... Uh, constantly bombarded by so many things. Like there's just so many. I've never been anywhere in the world where they schedule out their days like we do here in the States. And I've known people who've dreamed their whole life of coming to the States and they get here and they hate it because it's just so fast paced. And we schedule out every little corner of our day. And because of that, we don't have any free space to stop and evaluate where we're going. So we go through our day, we go to sleep, we wake up, Never have a chance to evaluate, are we even doing what we're called to do? I mean, even to think about the idea that we might actually be called to do something with our life as, as opposed to just get caught into a cycle or pattern and just go with whatever happens. Am I speaking to what you were saying? Cool. Yeah, your pattern in church. Somebody else? A couple more. Yeah, right there. Absolutely. Did y'all hear that? Being insecure and trying too hard to please others. Um, one more right here. Yeah, I don't know if y'all heard this, and it goes along with uh, the first one that was said, but sometimes the world is shinier and prettier, uh, which I like that image. James, going back to James's letter, he actually uses this image, and he talks about how Satan uses temptation to lure us. And, and that's exactly what she's talking about. The world is shinier and prettier oftentimes. It's right in front of us and Satan just kind of dangles it there. And if you've ever been fishing, anybody here been fishing before? Oh yeah, we're friends. Uh, yeah, you just throw that lure out there. And all you got to do is just get that fish's attention and it looks. And if you work it just right, uh, that sounded weird. Uh, but it's true. I mean, if you, if you work it just right, then that fish is going to get closer and closer and closer, and eventually he's going to be attracted to that shiny thing and bite onto it, and, and it's going to be too late for him or her to realize that he's been hooked 
by something, and you're going to reel it in and then uh, eat it. And that's what Satan does. Um, let, me, let me tell you a couple of the things that I came up with in response to this. Possible answers for why somebody would call Jesus Lord, Lord, and not do what he tells them to do. Here, here's two things I came up with. One is this, superstition. Let me explain what I mean. Superstition, meaning you think that by repeating certain phrases or saying certain things or praying special prayers or singing certain songs that through that you'll be saved. Does that make sense? So like, you may be called Jesus Lord because that's what you've been taught to do. Just say he's Lord and boom, you're saved. Did Siri just try to pick that up? I heard. <laughs> Does Siri have a, an input to this conversation? So superstition. The second thing is misunderstanding. Like why would somebody call Jesus Lord, Lord and not do what he says? I think one of the reasons is misunderstanding. You don't really realize what the title Lord means. I mean, some of you tonight, you've never really thought about that. You were like me, oh, it's just one of his names. No, like it's a title. It means something, carries weight with it. And so now, like now that you're starting to realize what Lord actually means, like that's just throwing everything off for you. I mean, especially a verse like Romans 10, 9, but if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now you're having to rehash that whole thing out because now that, that has a whole other meaning for you. But ultimately, here's the reason. Ultimately, the only reason that, that somebody would call Jesus Lord and not do what Jesus tells them to do is because that person doesn't really think he can trust Jesus. I mean, of all the things that you said, that's the underlying factor. If you're going to call him Lord, but not do what he tells you to do, it's because you don't really trust Jesus. You don't really have faith. That's the answer to the question. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? The simple answer, the bottom line answer is because you don't have faith. In fact, just to kind of prove that's what he's getting at, if you look back at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 uh, through 23, Matt records uh, the same conversation, the same sermon, uh, but in a little bit more detail. And listen to what he says, Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus is talking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Listen, this is a salvation issue. This is a faith issue. This question, it's not about semantics, it's about your heart. This is not a secondary issue. This is a life or death issue. Having correct doctrine doesn't equal having faith. Having a correct response to correct doctrine equals faith. Uh, going back to an analogy we used week one, if you're floating with the currents of culture, you are not swimming with Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said this, nothing is more dangerous than to rely only upon a correct belief and a fervent spirit and to assume that as long as you believe the right things and are zealous and keen and active concerning them, you are therefore a necessity a Christian. He says nothing is more dangerous. And so you go back to Luke 6, 46, and Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Then he, he gives two pictures here, and I want to look at these very briefly. Verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them 
is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So Jesus, after saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you, which you should have that memorized by now, he gives two pictures. In one picture, the person's life is spared. In the other picture, the person loses everything. And the difference between the two pictures is what they built their lives on. Look at verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and what? Yeah, acts on them. Does them. So the first person, his life is spared because he comes to Jesus, hears Jesus, and does what Jesus tells him to do. The difference between that guy and the other guy is what verse 49 says. But the one who hears and does not do. So this person also comes to Jesus, also hears Jesus, but does not do what Jesus says. They both come and hear the word, but only one does the word. And you look at verse 48, only one of them dug deep. Only one of them dug deep, the other one didn't. So here's my question, which picture are you? I mean, remember, having correct doctrine doesn't equal faith. Having a correct response to correct doctrine, that equals faith. The difference in these two people in these pictures wasn't a very noticeable difference, but it's a huge difference. It's, It's basically the difference between having God's word in your room and having God's word in your heart. A guy named Donald Whitney, he wrote a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. It's a great book, and he said this. The worst dust storm in history would happen if all church members who were neglecting their Bibles dusted them off simultaneously. Now, I just was in Lubbock, Texas this weekend. I used to live there four and a half years, and I've been through some dust storms. I have a visual of what he's talking about here. This is a vivid picture. Hear it again. He says, the worst dust storm in history would happen if all church members who were neglecting their Bibles dusted them off simultaneously. But listen, in response to that, here's what I would say. The greatest countercultural movement in history would happen if all church members would stop simply reading their Bibles and start letting their Bibles read them. What might happen if we stopped simply coming and hearing what Jesus has to say and start actually doing what he says? It would be insane. It's kind of trendy to talk about revival. There would be a revival. So look at the two pictures again. What are you really building your life on? Are you digging deep and building on the foundation of God's word? Which when you build on that foundation, you become immovable. Your life will be spared. Or are you settling for the surface? Not digging deep. You may be coming and hearing, but not doing. Like going back to something that we said the first couple weeks. To follow Jesus is to what? Yes, thank you. To follow Jesus is to have faith in Jesus. To have faith in Jesus is to follow Jesus. Again, having correct doctrine doesn't equal faith, but having the correct response to correct doctrine equals faith. So which picture are you? Where do you stand in relation to God? Are you the one he's talking to when he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me owner, owner, and not do what I tell you? I hope you'll wrestle with that question tonight, but beyond tonight, this week, maybe the rest of your life. Let me pray for us.
Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.